0: This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle,
1: Australia.
2: Welcome to Pet Chat this Friday afternoon. I'm Jane Klein, and Dr. David Tabrett is with us with a very interesting topic and an interesting story to go with it: ringworm. And Danny Boss has joined us as well. Hello, Danny.
3: Hi, hi guys. You've been away so long; we we didn't recognise your voice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is: ringworm, David.
3: I I said I had an interesting story. A good friend of mine, a veterinarian, and I won't identify him because <laughs> you'll know why in a minute. Um, but look, this has happened to all vets. I know people like to show us things. And um, this friend of mine said he had a client come in once and lifted up their blouse. Yes, a female. And said, can you identify this on her cleavage? Which he thought was probably inappropriate. But um, suggested that he that uh, she go to see her doctor, and suspected that it could have been a ringworm. So that people say, "Well, how do you get a worm on your skin?" But it's not actually a worm; it's in a fungal infection. In fact, and the reason why it's called ringworm is because uh, it's in the shape of a ring. Okay, and the edges of it, right around the edges, is raised and red, and so it has the appearance of a worm that's sitting under the skin but it's actually a fungal infection. And it can vary in size and it can be multiple in nature. It can spread from uh, dogs and cats to people and vice versa. And so it's rather insidious. The big problem with this is that it it spreads and it persists in the environment. It's very hard to get rid of. So that's why we're very vigilant about treating it. Now, the interesting thing is the fungus that we call it is uh, Microsporum canis is the most common one. There are some others.
2: That means it belongs to dogs.
3: Well, like a lot of things, for example, the normal uh, flea that we get off our pets is actually Tinocephalides fearless.
2: Which is, you would think, belongs to a cat. Yeah,
3: but, you know, fleas aren't fussy and neither are ringworms. Right. Or these Microsporum. So, yeah, as I said, there are some other species. And um, the interesting thing is that about if you turn off all the lights when you've got one of these and you've got an ultraviolet light, about 50% of these fungal infections will actually fluoresce. And so it's a common test. A very quick and easy way for us to diagnose it is to use a, a ultraviolet light to actually look at it. But if it doesn't fluoresce, doesn't mean that it's not a, um, you know, a ringworm. And uh, in that case, then, we often have to take hair samples, put them onto a culture medium and and grow them and see if we can detect the ringworm that way. In the meantime, of course, then we institute a policy of treatment, which means every animal in the house has to be treated. If it's cats, for instance, um, then it is intense, particularly with long-haired cats, because they have to be clipped right back, um, bathed regularly. There's medications they have to go on. And they have to go on the medications for quite a long period of time because fungal infections, as you know, like with people, if you um, experience tinea and things like that, um, they persist for a long time. And all the creams and ointments that you use on those infections say that you've got to keep doing it for weeks and weeks after it all clears up. Well, we don't use cream so much on cats and dogs, but we do use some oral medications. We also use some washes that are antifungal washes as well. And so there's this uh, policy that we try and get rid of it out of the environment by decreasing the number of um, animals that are infected. But uh, it's a very hardy um, organism and it can survive for a long period of time. If any lesions do appear um, on your animals and you notice they're slightly hairless, they don't have to be completely bald in the centre of it. Um, But the infection actually spreads around the outside, and as it grows, the hair falls out. But sometimes it starts to regrow in the middle, particularly if they get quite large. And as I said, they can be multiple. And um, in that case, seek uh, veterinary attention for your pet. For yourself, seek uh, medical attention at your doctor, not the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Mm. So,
2: does it, so it does take quite a long time to eradicate.
3: Yes, and and I have had experience working with people who've had um, catteries and you know breeding catteries and boarding catteries, and when if they get ringworm infections, they're a real problem. The biggest issue that probably comes out of it is that if it spreads to people, it can be treated. That's fine, but you know from family to family, there might be someone, who, for instance, who has a a disease or is on medication that suppresses their immune system. Or the drugs that are needed to actually get rid of the infection uh, can be toxic to the liver, for instance. So, you know, we'd rather prevent it than have to come along afterwards and try and mop it up and try and treat it after the fact. Very difficult to treat.
2: You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. It's 23 past 12. And welcome back, Danny Boss.
4: Thank you very much, Jane. Now, there's a few things happening around Newcastle in terms of dog shows this weekend. They started today, actually. So it's Friday, Friday evening, Saturday and Sunday, the Championship Dog shows. So that's pedigree big. dogs. Mm. Yes, lots of shows. Pedigree dogs, if you want to go and see some different breeds, that's the place to go at Hillsborough Show Dog Grounds. That's there's hot. that. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is um, while I was away, I was, did a bit of traveling and I am always interested in visiting lots of different pet stores and looking at different pets around the area. And I have to say that what is great is that I really do believe, from what I saw in Europe and in Asia, that our dogs are really well cared for here in Australia. And it's great to see. Um, I just think from the quality of the dogs that I saw compared to what we have here in Australia (coughs) and the health, and how people are always trying to make sure that their pets are kept well, healthy, and exercised. It was fantastic to see the difference. And I think our pets here in Australia, and we should all be commended for it, are very in very good shape. And Everybody, a, good a pat thing. on your own back. Mm. <laughs> hey, Danny, you went to Hungary? I went, uh, first of all, in Italy, then Hungary. I visited a family in Macedonia. So uh, I was just a,
3: thinking, did you see any Hungarian vislas? <laughs> ah, uh, the dog of the moment, <laughs> yes, <laughs> a little in, while ago In
4: Hungary they are used quite a bit still for hunting Oh, okay um, uh, For hunting game, uh, poultry and so forth But from what I read and talked to people It is also on the decline, mm. hunting in, mm. in Hungary as well is that because there's not so much left to hunt? Um, no, not quite. It's just that there is also associations and groups of people who disagree yeah, with, with the hunting that's going on, yeah. so there's a, you know, two sides to every story, so things are a bit touchy in regards to that, yeah.
3: Just when we, whenever we have breeders on that you interview, we talk about the history of breeds. Yes. So you've just had a bit of a tour of parts of the world and probably seen where some of those breeds have actually originated from.
4: That's right, and Mm. what their purpose was. And there was a time and a place for those purposes that they were bred for.
3: Now, we did have a caller a couple of weeks ago, Jane, while you were away, and I was here with Dave, that um, wanted to know um, about the Maltese Terrier and the history or background of them. So I said, well, we'll wait till Danny comes back, and then we might even look at getting... um,
4: Someone on board to talk yeah. to, Yep, a breed of Maltese Terrier. That'll be my project. I, we I can ha- get that.
3: I had a guess that it might. they might come from Malta <laughs> and not to do with little chocolate um, malt balls. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's no. that's, my, that's my input. <laughs> Sound, sounds
4: like you're partly right. <laughs> but we will have to find out exactly. There was something else, Jane, I wanted to share, and that is Hunter Animal Rescue which we support and often mention. A different kind of hunting. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Hunter Animal Rescue, on their website, if people do go to the Hunter Animal Rescue website, will find that you can submit a photo of your pet for the Hunter Animal Rescue 2010 calendar. So that's quite an exciting event and something to look forward to being in and hopefully be selected. So have a look, put a, put a photo of your pet on their website and enter your pet in that competition. There's only 12 months of the year, so I guess there's only 12 selections, so it might be pretty tight. But it's worthwhile having a look at that. And, and what's,
2: what's their web address?
4: It's www.hunteranimalrescue.com.au. So that's easy. And also in terms of supporting Hunter Animal Rescue, this weekend on Sunday they will be having a fundraising barbecue at the Katara Bunnings from 9am to 3pm. So go and please support this great volunteer organisation.
2: Should one take one's dog along as well? They can. Dogs are always welcome. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) so there's plenty of happening can i just go back to the championship dog show yes. at or shows at hillsborough how many breeds are likely to be there
4: mm. well you've got your different groups like your toy 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 group so you've got your toy breeds gun dog group which I'm familiar with because I show that them gun dogs and utility group working group so there's quite a few different groups and in terms of entries uh, there can be 500 to 700 entries that's 500 to 700 dogs um, and in terms of breeds oh look you're got me in a, in a spot here it could I be ha- mm. 100 breeds or so wow yeah
2: that is sizable yes so there's plenty to look at plenty to look at. looking around at seeing what dogs look like
4: that's right and happy to say i'm I, I really am quite sure all of them are very good and healthy because after traveling around and seeing the and comparing the different uh dogs around in europe and here i'm very happy to see that our dogs here in australia are healthy and well kept
2: Mm. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat, and we'll be back in a moment. We're looking forward to your calls, too. Have you got a question you'd like to put to our pet vet, David Tabret? Well, give us a call, 49216216. We'll get you through to us. We look forward to your calls, your questions. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat, and 49216216 is the number to ring to get your question through to David Tabret. And, David, just, just before we go to Cynthia, who has rung in. Mm. Um,
3: yes. We've got a, a book to give away to, um, well, just to, we'll give it to a random caller today. A random caller? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, um, okay. All we'll, random we'll, callers, all please <laughs> take note. Call randomly. Yes. Um, first aid for dogs or uh, first aid for cats. We've got one of each. So um, when people ring in, we'll put them in the drawer for that and announce it uh, at the top of the hour.
2: Excellent. Well, our first caller today is Cynthia. Hello, Cynthia.
5: Hello.
3: Hi, Cynthia. Hi.
5: Look, I have um, I have a little Bichon um, Frisch, who's two and a half years old,
3: mm-hmm.
5: um, I have great difficulty in trying to cut his nails. Oh,
2: And yeah. I
5: just wondered if you had any little secrets that might help me to um, overcome the problem. Because his nails are very long. I've got the clippers, I've got yep. the thing that you do, but it's just really, uh, he's got a very strong will.
3: Yes, yes.
5: And uh, yeah, I'm doing the best I can, but um, fortunately they're very long at the moment, so I'd like a little hint.
3: Um, Has he had a bad experience in the past? Yes, he has. Mm.
5: He had an experience, not necessarily with cutting his nails, but with um, he had some ticks. We got some mulch delivered, and he got ticks from the mulch. He had about five, Mm -hmm. and uh, we managed to get those off him, but he just screeched and screeched and screeched. Didn't like you doing doing
3: that. He didn't like
5: that at all. Very sensitive. I've been massaging. I'm a natural therapist, so I like to massage his, his Feet and mm-hmm. try to get him used to seeing the clippers.
3: Yep, that's a good um, idea. Yep. Yeah,
5: a um, little bit more desensitised, but um, still difficult to hold him and cut them at the same time.
3: Well, I can give you a few tips, but um, there are a, there are some pets that are just un, uh, unable to, you know, clip their nails easily. Without resorting to anaesthetics, I've had that experience in the past. Okay. Um, but uh, the the first thing I would look at is the type of clippers. Now, there's um, I like generally the scissor type ones. There are some what are called a guillotine type, no. where where the blade slides forward across, and I find they're not so good because they tend to crush the toe a little bit before it cuts. Okay.
5: So um, these look like the scissor type. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, so like a handle that you squeeze and then yeah, a handle yeah.
5: that you squeeze on, on a spring.
3: Yeah, you've got yeah. to make sure they're sharp yeah. um, and tight so that they're not uh, so that the two blades are actually cutting together. They're not sort of separating uh-huh. because again, that will actually then what that does is that as it hits the the toe uh, the claw, it if it's slightly loose, it will actually twist the claw. Yes, yeah, and I imagine. Yeah. So on. Now the thing about a, a claw is that it's it's actually the third. Uh, what we call the third phalanx. Now, if you look at your own fingers, you've got the the piece, the knuckle nearest your hand, then that's the first, then the second, and then the bit where your nail is is actually the third. Now, what happens in a dog is there's no skin over the third phalanx. It's actually encased inside the claw. Right. So you can, in white uh, or clear nails, you can actually see the bone. Inside, mm-hmm. if you go near it, they get very upset. And you yes, um, bleed too. Yes, don't exactly. Mm-hmm. So what you do, okay? Um, and as I said, some pets you can't do this; they have to be anaesthetised. Okay. Um, but the best way to know how deep to cut is you push up on the pad. Mm-hmm. So you're holding the paw. Push up on the pad and push on the top of the claw. And what it does is it extends the claw. Mm-hmm. And if you're holding it level, then you cut at the level of the pad at the bottom of the pad. Okay? okay. So, in other words, if the dog is walking, there's weight on its feet, its claws extend, and the claws are rubbing on the concrete or whatever at that level, that's where you need to cut. And if you do that, you will never hit the bone. Okay. Okay? Okay. But he may also, and what I would suggest you do is just do one claw and then leave it. Give him a treat, go and do something else.
5: It's the curly one that bothers me most. Up on the the, side of his foot? Yeah. Okay. I can't get to that one.
3: Um, the other thing is you can do it in his sleep. <laughs> well, that's an idea. Well...
5: He's pretty, he's pretty sharp though, he, you yes. know, he's, you know, he's very alert.
3: Yes, yeah, and, um, often with little dogs like that, it's a two-person job. Mm. Mm.
5: Yes, I, that's the only time I had success. My daughter-in-law held him and, um, um, I managed to clip two or three of them and, at one time. But he wasn't, wasn't very happy
3: about it. The other the thing, up- the other thing to do is, I would say, is take him into the vets to get them done at least once and get very clear instructions and make sure everything's working right before you embark upon this. And oftentimes the nurses, if you just ring up and say, I want someone to check my technique, and they'll, they'll uh, help you through that as well. Okay, oh, that's mm.
5: great. Cynthia? Do you know any particular conditioner for their coat that um, stops them mat- like the fur matting? I don't like to shave him, but I do clip him. He's happy for me to clip him. I mean, I clip him with
3: scissors. Yeah, I'll let um, Dan... D- I just wondered, is there
5: a conditioner that you could recommend? Cynthia, there is, there is a
4: dematting spray you can use. Oh, okay. They are available in specialty pet stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a dematting spray would help, and that loosens the hair up, so it reduces the amount of mat- matting that happens. Excellent. Um, So check that out. There are also silky smooth conditioners that can help with that. So there's the two options for you. Um, Just in regards to the cutting of the toenails, with my dogs, they're a bit sensitive too. What I have found out is that if I don't let them grow too long and just cut a very little bit, it seems to be very helpful. So what I do is every Monday, once a week, I do cut a very tiny little bit bit bit. of the nail. I just keep that very regular. I don't let it go two, three, four weeks. That's when they really don't like it. So, if you can keep it regular, one day, choose a day in the week, and just do it every week a little bit, that might also help.
5: There okay. you go. That's great. Okay. Thank you very much. Good thanks
2: luck to you, Cynthia. And Kay joins us. Hello, Kay.
0: Hello, good afternoon. Uh, last week, mention was made of a dog collar that was being developed or was coming on the market for dogs with a fear of thunder. And I was uh, just wondering if you could tell me more about it.
3: I'll have to ask Dr. Bob. Dr. Robert Stabler, who was here, because I was, I have to tell you, Kay, I was actually enjoying the sunshine on the Gold Coast. Oh,
0: well. <laughs>
3: and and the reception doesn't spread that far. So right. Dr. Stabler was filling in for me that. Um, I'll check in with him.
0: If you wouldn't mind, that would be great.
3: And uh, so what was it, a collar for a thunderstorm?
0: Yes, uh, uh, he said they were developing, uh, he was talking about dogs
3: uh,
4: yes.
0: and the thunder phobia. And he was saying, it, he said, something along the lines of it will be great when they the bring that collar out apparently uh, it soothes them and they, they can wear it all the time. Okay. That uh, was the message I got. But uh, my my, uh, my Shih Tzu, he's absolutely, he's horrendous when there's, when there's a storm. Yeah. And I'm desperate because uh, if I can't get something, I, I'm frightened I won't be able to keep him.
3: And, thun- and no one
0: else is going to take him with that problem, you know. Yeah,
3: and thunderstorm season is upon us.
0: Yes, yes. Okay. But, um, and through the day I can handle it, but it's when I'm walking up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning with a dog sitting on top of my head, it, I get a bit cranky.
3: Yeah, sure. I'll, um, I've will i got to email him, and uh, so I'll check in with him about the collars. Oh, that would be great. And we'll get some info back next week. Lovely. Okay. Thank
0: you very much. Thanks, Kay.
3: Yes.
2: And uh, it's actually good to uh, repeat information like that, isn't it? So uh, oh, yeah, a couple and of pet- times,
3: particularly it's at this time of the year because, as I said, thunderstorm season will be upon us soon. Um, so I'm sure that there's other listeners out there with um, pets, big and large, who probably don't like the thunderstorms. Mm. sure there is
2: Danny you've got a
4: well I actually brought (laughs) a dog collar in today to discuss as our product of the week but it's not the dog collar the lady was asking for but this one is a good collar it's called the canny collar and it stops the dog pulling we often get people who are saying that they can't stop their dog from pulling and as they're walking them and it just makes walking your dog quite an unpleasant experience and we don't like that so this collar is quite easy to use Forms part of it, it goes around their neck but also around the muzzle uh, and it helps by making sure that the dog doesn't pull because it, it, it uh, makes it a bit uncomfortable for the dog if it does pull. So quite a good product, the canny collar it's called. But it doesn't hurt the dog? No, it doesn't hurt the dog this,
3: at all. Um, I'm just looking at the design because Danny's passed the box over to me here and it, it is um, very similar to um, the uh, gentle leaders gentle and leaders, the... Yep. Um, uh, halty collars, mm-hmm. um, except that the leash is at the back rather than underneath. Yes. Yeah, but the pressure points, and just for those who haven't seen them, um, there's they look like horse halters, okay, where there's actually a band that goes over the bridge of the nose and around the back of the neck. And you'd think, my goodness, how could you ever control a dog like that? And I, had a, I remember I had a client that had two Japanese Akitas, each of the dogs weighed more than her. She couldn't walk them, of course. And I said, bring them in, and we'll fit. At that time, we had, I think, a gentle leader. Mm-hmm. And I said, we'll fit it. We'll do what's called the eight-minute power steering lesson. I'll get your dogs walking to heel within eight minutes. And it was quicker than that. And then she could walk these two dogs, which combined weight of about 180 kilos or 150 (laughs) kilos. The dogs could have walked her. Oh, they did. They did. But the principle is that um, in the wild, dogs in a pack situation, the dominant dog goes around. And instead of having to fight all the time, what it does is it just jumps up and it puts its paw, one on the back of the neck and one on the bridge of the nose. And that's a behavioral stimulus that says, I'm the boss. So these collars work on exactly the same principle rather than the choke a collar, which chokes your dog, these mm. work on a behavioural principle. That, that's a great idea. I think they, that works really well.
2: Your calls are welcome on 49216216 and Peter has rung in. Hello, Peter.
3: Good afternoon.
1: How are you?
2: Fine. You've got a question for David?
1: It's more a problem. Yeah, it's a question too.
2: <laughs> He's good well, at those.
1: A couple of years ago, we are living on the outskirts of Min um, mm-hmm. and we lost a few chooks <clears throat> and uh, when I finally patched the run up so the chooks couldn't get in Mm -hmm. uh the chooks couldn't get in whatever was getting in couldn't couldn't get in um suddenly one afternoon this siberian husky appeared looking very forlorn very hungry very thin so he he was taking our um, chickens so we put some food out for him long the short of it is after oh eight months two years there he'd adopted us (laughs) um he's has obviously have been abandoned yeah. at a young age yeah. he had to fend for himself um he's got no social graces has no social graces whatsoever we've got a little miniature foxy and um just two days ago he grabbed hold of her and gave her a heck of a shaking yep. um tore, tore her back open and she'd been bleeding and <coughs> really um we don't know what to do with him um we had to actually dope him. We got some tablets from our vet to dope him up enough to get him in the vehicle when we left him in my. Yeah. To come to Glendale, we had to dope him up. Um, and as soon as that wore off, of course, my wife can pat him. He doesn't mind females. He's terrified of men. He's obviously been abused by a man. Um, we just don't want to... If we ring up the RSPCA, yeah. I'm sure they'll put him down.
3: Yeah.
1: And we just don't know what to do with him. We've tried everything. Um, He's been looked after, he gets kindness. My wife pats him and plays him, talks to him. He's still a wild thing. Yeah.
3: This is a real problem because a lot of the behavioural aspects and the problems that you're seeing are there for a long period of time and they probably were ingrained into this dog um, at obviously a younger age and it then becomes habit and it becomes often a, a very... Uh, solid, I wouldn't say permanent, because there have been cases of dogs where they've been able to train them or de-train them out of that, um, but it takes a lot of work, and um, you have to basically reverse a lot of those behaviours. Not easy. And uh, obviously you guys have got a lot of commitment to this dog um, because you've um, cared for him and taken him even when you've moved house, uh, but you're now you're seeing some issues related to the inter-dog aggression. That's uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and the, in the that... The fox,
1: she's, sort of, she's quite old. Yes. And he wants to play with her, and we've seen her snarl at him and snap at him, and obviously the other day when we were at work, she snapped at him or snarled at him or something, and he turned around and said, don't do that. And I mean, <laughs> you know, his behaviour's not totally outrageous. Most of the time, he's he's good.
3: No, that's he's, right. And oftentimes the bigger dogs bear the brunt of uh, or the blame for various um, things because they're just bigger dogs, and a snap from a bigger dog is a is a lot worse than a, a, a repeated snaps from a little dog. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, of, there, there's some things to do, but it's really it's something that takes a long period of time, and you need to have behavioural modifications uh, process program sorry set up by an experienced behaviourist. Um, in some cases, drug therapy does help, but um, it sounds to me like it's it's a training thing uh associated certainly socialization is important, but um, you've got that to some degree already. I think that there's uh, probably just aspects of this dog's behaviour that just need to be fine tuned and and make it a friend a friendlier dog um, The issue of relating to males and so on can be they can be desensitized to that. But again, it takes a lot a lot of time. What I would suggest is um, that uh, Danny and myself have a range of contacts of people that we can talk to or, or put you in touch with mm-hmm. and uh, who would be able to help you set up a program to change this dog's behavior. Um, there is always the issue that if there is aggression directed towards people, that... Um, in those cases, the stakes become a lot higher, and we are obliged to discuss um, euthanasia of the pet with you because of the risk to people. But if that hasn't occurred at this stage, not at all. No, no. he's terrified of people. Yeah, be with you. Mm. well, sometimes fear can be a driver as well, so that's part mm. of the thing that needs to be addressed. What I would suggest is if um, if you hang on the line. We'll get some details from you. That'd be, That'd be fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Peter.
2: Two and RFm's Pet chat is on at the moment. Four nine two one six two one six is the number to ring if you've got a question you'd like to um, to put to our pet vet, Doctor David Tabret.
3: And they can and they can win a book.
2: And a book is yeah. up for grabs. Um, what was it called again, David?
3: First Aid for Dogs. First Aid. Or First Aid for Cats.
2: And before uh, we go any further, I should just say that the word is that the thunderstorm collar, collar is currently under development in the United States and may take about six months before it's oh, ready. Okay. So right. don't rush to your local pet shop yet.
3: No, but we'll, I'll get some uh, more, more info for Kay um, after I speak to Dr. Robert Stabler. Sounds mm. good. Um, now daylight saving has, has arrived, right? So we all like to get out and go for a walk and take the pets. Um, I had an experience a couple of years ago with a pet that came in, it had been taken for a walk at six o'clock and it had overheated and suffered heat stroke, very severe in the pet died actually. Um, just be aware that the thing about heat stroke in pets is heat production, uh, And then you subtract the way they're able to get rid of heat, which is cooling and panting. So if they're not drinking, they're not going to really cool down that much. And if they're a heavy set dog or if they're what we call a brachycephalic breed, which are the dogs with pushed in noses. So bulldogs and boxes and pugs and cavies and things like that. But uh, those dogs have trouble getting rid of their heat out of their, their body. And even at 6 and 7 and even 8 o'clock at night, it's going to be quite warm. And the problem we see is at the start of the season. The interesting thing was that when it gets really hot is people generally don't take their dogs out to exercise because it's just too hot. But when it's, you know, 28, 30, 32, we go, oh, we'll take the dog for a walk. And, you know, because it's a lovely evening, still warm. But just be aware that they can overheat. Make sure you don't go too far. Make sure they get water. And if you're really worried at all, give your vet a call. But give them just a good hose down with the hose first. Okay? Hose
2: them down so that will help to get them through all over. Just
3: all over. I mean, in particular, inside the groin, in the legs, and on the neck. This is where the large veins run close to the surface of the skin. And by applying water to that area, it will help some evaporative heat loss. Um, but, uh, and dogs will, you can wet their mouth as well, but don't overdo it because I have seen people sort of almost drown their dogs. You know, it doesn't need to be ice either. Just water. Just water. Just water. Yeah. So be careful because it is, it's, it's a real problem in September, October is when we start to, well, October now, daylight saving. Mm. It's when we start to see this happening.
4: David, there's also cooling jackets available, cooling oh, that's dog right. coats. right.
3: Yeah. I know. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? You think, oh, put something <laughs> on the doglets. But they're actually, so how do they work? They've well, they're made
4: out of special material and they've got some kind of crystals inside uh-huh. and you soak them in water that till they're fully absorbed the water and you take it out you can actually squeeze them a little bit so they're not dripping with water and then put the coat over the dog and it's actually amazing how how cool it is and they will last quite a few hours on the dog maintaining a cooler temperature
3: i would probably make sure that they um you know if you're using that or anything that you wet them that they're not just then put in a a a place where there's no airflow yeah because to get evaporation you really need airflow happening and so you need to have some sort of breeze or even a a light fan again you don't want to chill them because what actually happens is the and that's why we don't use ice water is because the sensors on your skin for temperature go oh i'm cold and what happens when you're cold you shiver and that's muscle activity which produces heat so we want to cool them slowly so water cooling jacket um And, you know, just a little bit of airflow. We don't want to chill them. Mm. Mm.
2: Now, Danny, while you were in Europe, did you happen to see any dogs going out to restaurants with their owners?
4: Yes, you do see that in Europe, (laughs) don't you? Not only that, but when you go um, shopping at your local supermarket, the dog's in the trolley. Oh, come on. Yes, yeah, having a nibble of some of the bread (laughs) sitting at the top. It was quite exciting. There was one unfortunate incident, and it was in Macedonia. I did notice there was a lot of um, stray cats everywhere Mm. you went, a lot of stray cats. And it's so unfortunate in some of those uh, countries where they don't have organizations like we have here that are volunteer rescue organizations like Hunt Animal Rescue to help in these kind of situations. And I guess they don't have the de-sexing programs that we have as well and the Mm. education that goes with it. And I was just amazed how many cats there were out there.
3: There is, um, in closer to home, as in the South Pacific, there's quite a few organisations that Australian vets are heavily involved in. Uh, And actually in India and Sri Lanka as well, where they're providing volunteer veterinary care and people vets can actually sign up and go over for a period of time and um you know even in Papua New Guinea and Bali there's the street dog project up in Bali one of the vets who works for me he's done a stint with that and um you know tacked it on to the end of his holiday and spent an extra week um desexing dogs
2: Mm -hmm. so mainly just desexing and looking after their general health as well yeah
3: worming and um you know um, that sort of thing various yeah making sure that they're The thing that they want to do is actually is reduce the number of dogs through widespread desexing programs. Just remember, it's very difficult, though, based on numbers, to actually get a big impact. You've got to desex something like 90% of the population before you notice a a real drop-off. Yes. Um, That's a lot. Yeah, because, well, you know, one male can... (laughs) He'll go around and get all the girls pregnant, so...
4: Yes, he'll so be quite it's, a big flirt.
3: It, it's it's <laughs> difficult to have that impact, but they have had some... Um, they've certainly had some benefits. You know, I think there's also issues related to skin diseases, and dogs that are generally unwell can also then be rescued from the street if they're suffering from severe illnesses or diseases. And remembering in tropical countries, of course, is the the range of diseases is... Much wider than what we see here, uh, then those animals may have to be medicated, rescued, or, in some cases, have to be put to sleep because they're they're in suffering mm. when they're when they're taken off the street. But there's projects happening like that, and um, you know, all over the all over the world. There was actually, um, I don't know, did you go to Greece? Daddy? No, I didn't. Miss Greece. Did there's a donkey rescue project in Greece <laughs> that um, I spent some time with. Uh, Talking to the organisers, actually, I was over there in, I don't know when it was, back in the late 90s, um, and um, looking at how they were setting their, their progress pro- process up in on the islands, because these donkeys get worked and then they're actually just abandoned.
4: Wow. Mm.
3: So all species, and there's good groups out there. So a big plug for the volunteer groups it as is well.
4: definitely.
2: Well, that just about brings us to the end of Pet Chat. Thank you, David Tabrush. Thank you, Jane. And Danny Boss. Thank you, Jane. i Jane Klein, and we'll be back with more Pet Chat next Friday after the 12 o'clock news.